All right, let me open up to Micah chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, today is going to be, um, I haven't done this in a while. Uh, this is going to be a, 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 a very different kind of sermon, so kind of taking a, a different angle on, I haven't done something like this in a while, so I hope you can be gracious to me. All right? <laughs> Micah chapter 4, verse 2. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk, with, we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into the pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Key here, right? Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. Lord, we just come before you, and Lord, we just ask that your presence would be with us. Give us minds that will just receive of your word, Lord. Let us have hearts that are open to look at ourselves and say, oh, I, just, I just want to be molded and transformed more into the image of my Savior. Father, I just pray, Lord God, that this would just, word would just fall on fertile ground. I believe this is a message that is coming from you at an appointed time. And it's a message that goes up against some of our cultural norms. So Lord, I just pray a special measure of grace for us to be a people that are able and willing to receive of your word today. Amen? Amen. Yeah, so a little bit of a different kind of message going up against a bit of the spirit of culture that is, uh, well, in, in the world today. And uh, like I said, this is a very different type of uh, sermon. And I want to begin with this old English word called hefted. Hefted uh, means to become accustomed and attached to an area of upland pasture. To become accustomed and attached to an area of upland pasture. And so uh, recently I, uh, I finished a book just for, for pleasure, but it's really pulling on my heartstrings. And I think when you're, when you're doing things and you're reading things for pleasure, you know, if you're looking at things through the lens of the Lord, he can reveal so much to you. I don't know if you ever uh, remember, uh, if you ever saw that movie, uh, Chariots of Fire. You guys remember that, right? It's about a guy, a Brit, who is struggling. Should he be a missionary? Or should he be like, I think, an Olympic runner, right? His whole family's like, you should be missionaries, you should be missionaries, this, that, and the other thing. And he's like, but I feel his pleasure when I run. Right? When you're doing what you're called to do, even if it appears to be not a spiritual exercise, you're going to be engaged in his presence. So I'm reading this book, and my heart is just being made full, right? Now this book is called uh, The Shepherd's Life. Uh, by James Rebanks, uh, became a New York Times bestseller. And this is very, is very interesting. He lives in uh, the Lake District of England. His family has been raising sheep for six centuries in the same location. Six centuries in the same area for 600 years, pretty much. It's like this country hasn't even been around for 600 years, let alone living in the same area for 600 years. And guess what they've been doing for 600 years? Raising sheep 
for 600 years. And guess what? One specific type of sheep for 600 years. Now, I mean, the book is, is fantastic, but, you know, he, um, he hated school, all this kind of stuff. He drops out, this, that, and everything. Ends up getting his GED, but then they discover that the guy is pretty smart. So he ends up getting a scholarship to Oxford, which is a pretty good school. So he goes uh, and gets his degree at Oxford, and uh, he's there, and it's like his first time in the city, first time in the urban environment. And he, as a kid, was like, I want to get out of this Lake District sheep farm as soon as possible. And he gets out on a scholarship from Oxford, and he goes to London, I believe, and he's just like, this is so sad. Everyone's rushing around. No one looks at each other in the face. No one knows each other's name. You're around a whole bunch of people, but yet you feel alone. And, said, and the worst thing is no one here has a sense of any type of rootedness. There's no root. There's no rootedness in them. And so it's very fascinating. It takes him going to London to realize that his family had been blessed with a gift. A sense of belonging. And so what does he do? He uses this concept that essentially sheep that are born to a high mountain pasture, you take them down in the winter, and right when spring comes, they know exactly where to go back to. So he left the farm, he goes to the city, he's like, I know exactly where I need to go back to, even if I have an Oxford degree. And he goes right back to the farm of his family for 600 years. And it's this notion of this. Are you hefted? Are you connected to something? And everyone's connected to something. It could be London. It could be the Lake District. It could be your town. It could be an idea. But I'm telling you, I feel that the Lord is speaking right now, and he is saying it is time to be hefted to the mountain of the Lord. That's kind of the punchline of the sermon. I didn't mean to do that, but I just did it. So we can all now eat cake. Are you guys good? You fed? Fed on some mountain grass? All right, let's open up to John 10. All right. That was kind of the punchline, but it's all good. I'll tell you what. Um, I'm hoping. Josh, are you back? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to go. I, I want you to see. Um, where am I? Yeah. I want you to see. Uh, this guy's lifestyle. I mean, this guy, is, he's, he's living a life like they did 600 years ago, let alone 3,000 years ago, right? But he's got a refrigerator or a TV. But outside of that, it's the same job that his ancestor's ancestor, right? It's really, I don't know, for me, it speaks to my soul. Here you go. A shepherd is nothing without his sheepdogs, and I'm really lucky I've got two good sheepdogs, uh, Floss and Tan, uh, two special dogs, really good. Um, 
and my work's only possible because of them. Uh, they enable me to gather the fells, or even in my land, the fields. You can't gather a field, can't gather fields like we have uh, without them. It would take dozens and dozens of people, and you'd still lose. But with uh, one or two good dogs, you can do shepherding work. And this, the way that we farm is what some people call dog and stick farming, very traditional, old-fashioned way of farming. Uh, the rest of the world has sort of changed around us, and because the fells are so historically were quite isolated and quite poor, uh, and because there are no other options if you want to farm here than to farm sheep with a dog and a stick. Uh, a really old-fashioned kind of farming survived and I wanted to write a book and tell everybody about it and why I love it and why it's beautiful and special and historically significant and to try and share that with other people so that other people can see it better than they have done before. We're a family farm so there's my father and my mother and my wife Helen and my children and my first memories are following my grandfather around the farm and Loving every moment of it, thinking he was just he was free and he was independent and he was proud and he loved what he did and he, he looked like he belonged in his place in the world and I remember thinking I just want to be just like you. <laughs> My sheep that I take back to the fells have been looked after by many many different shepherds over hundreds maybe even thousands of years but they're an unbroken chain back into a period of 1,000 years, 2,000 years, maybe three or four or 5,000 years ago. And to do something that old, that timeless, is amazing. And, uh, and my hope very much is that I, in however big or smaller way that I can help people to see that and understand it because I think many people don't know that's happening around them or that it's still survived. Um, and my book is an attempt to, to to share that world and explain it and to explain why we the people are hefted as much as the sheep are hefted uh, that there's a really deep sense of rootedness and belonging and it makes for a certain kind of people um, that are shaped by the landscape and they shape it in turn and that we're proud of what we are um, proud of where we came from proud of what we are now and proud of what we're trying to do which is to try and keep it going in the future All right so you're, you're here, what he's saying here, right? It's, it's being proud of who you are, proud of where you're from, knowing where you're from, knowing what you're supposed to do, and being connected to hundreds of years of, of something, of something. Uh, and I felt the Lord is, is, is really saying this. In an age that's increasingly about mobility and self-invention, let us be a people of continuity, roots, and a sense of belonging. There's a picture of a shepherd boy. I believe this is like a legitimate photograph from like the 1930s where it was still black and white. You see a boy playing the flute. And you know, it's so amazing. It's the year 1930, you know? And 3,000 years before, there was a shepherd boy in that same location with a flute, and his name was David, right? It's this notion of, okay, what are we connected to? What is our shared past? What is our shared history, and what are we doing now to be connected to that? What are you hefted to? What are you connected to? What are you bound to? Where is your root? And this has nothing to do with your physical location, because you know what? The thing is, like, people move, man, right? And churches morph and transform. That's not what it's about. It's more like a spiritual kind of concept of what are we being rooted in and rooted in. Too. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm telling you, <clears throat> I, ex I experience it and it stresses me out. It really stresses me out that the world is changing so quick. 
The world is changing quicker than ever uh, suspected. Um, And now more than ever, we need to be rooted to something. Now more than ever, we need to belong to something. And now I I don't usually do this, and I feel a little bad, but I'm not going to feel bad because I think it's very powerful. I'm going to show you another quick video. I want you to see how much the world is changing. Okay? We'll go to the next video. So what does it all mean? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's what they always say, right? That's what they say. Oh, when you get the washing machine, it's going to be more free time. When you get the car, there'll be more free time. When you get this, there'll be more free time. And so I apologize for the two different videos. No more videos. I'm just trying to build an argument here, okay? The argument here is that things are changing faster than I would ever expect, and I'm only 40. I can only imagine those people that are, that are older. Look, an engineering degree, your first year, freshman year, half of the information that you are gathering will now be outdated by the time you graduate. One week of newspaper information. What to have, like, an actual piece of paper, newspaper, is more information than Thomas Jefferson had when he was alive during his entire life. Okay? Do you hear what is going on here? Things are speeding up to such a degree, and I really do believe that this creates a spirit of uncertainty and confusion. I see it in young people because I teach high school. I see it with some of you guys. There is always, always a feeling of catching up, right? Us millennials, or I'm not quite a millennial, but millennials or Gen Zs is FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. There's so much information. There's so much going on. We may, in fact, be missing out on things. But I believe that the answer is from a James Rebanks in the Lake District of England. And that is this. It's time for us to be spiritually hefted. You have to be spiritually hefted. It is, we, we absolutely, in the days in which we are living in, you have to be hefted to something. You have to be familiar with something. And everyone will be. But there's a choice. Are we going to be hefted and connected and find security in the changing, crazy world? Or are we going to find it in those things which our ancestors dictated? And that is the word of God. Right, Mount, um, Micah 4.2, once again. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. See, sheep are hefted in this kind of concept. But the question here is, are we being connected and attached and accustomed to the mountain of the Lord? You know, now, so what's really amazing here is we all know this. I mean, John chapter 10. I mean, Jesus always teaches about this whole concept of pastoral, of shepherding and sheep. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, right? Everyone knows this one. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. But here's the thing. To hear the shepherd's voice, you need to be in his pasture. You could be one of his sheep, but you're in a different pasture. Because you haven't been hefted. You haven't been connected to it yet. And this is the concept. To hear Jesus' voice, we need to be attached, accustomed to the mountain of the Lord. The place of his presence. And people are like, yeah, you know, Dave, you know, it's, you, you know we, we, a lot of us know this. We know this. 
I, I really do believe, in, in a sense, that there, there has been a spirit of convenience. I need, I need us to get this before already we're inconvenient, right? Inconvenienced, right? We got to rush off to go to lunch or rush off to do something this afternoon, go shopping or go home or whatever. I, I really do believe that there's been a spirit of convenience that has just fallen on the earth, but really has fallen on the church. We were, we were at prayer meeting on Wednesday, and it, it probably seemed to be like completely random to anyone that was there, but I was just praying, and I was just like mourning inside of myself. Um, and part of it was coming from a, a, another book that I was just reading, talking about the food production in, in the West and how it's so built off of convenience. And I'm not going to necessarily go down that road, but the road is what I'm going down here is that we, we live a life of massive, massive convenience. And when we were in prayer on Wednesday, I was overwhelmed by this feeling of, Lord, how much of my life has been out of a place of just trying to do the convenient thing? And I'm talking about the buying and selling. I'm talking about like making a swipe left or right and you have what you want at your house tomorrow. I'm talking about like going through drive-thru and getting your coffee. Like it's, I know it sounds absurd, but we talk to older people. I mean, you talk to myself. I remember being a kid being like going out to get a cup of coffee. Like you brew the coffee at home. Driving through to pick up a cup of coffee is like insanity. Like just get the coffee at home. The foods we eat, everything do. I'm trying to, I'm sorry, like I'm taking months of processing. I'm trying to say it to you now. I, but I'm telling you, it's, it's this notion of we live in a world of unbelievable convenience. Unbelievable, unparalleled convenience. And my concern is, does it leak into the church, right? Because the old saying is this, man makes tools and the tools make the man. So we've made convenience, and my concern here is now is that the convenience has created an atmosphere where we're not hefted, we're not accustomed, we're not bound to anything. We can buy or sell, we can travel wherever the heck we want to go, which are all beautiful things. And this morning I can drive and pick up a cup of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. When I go home, I can drive through a drive-thru and pick up some food, and it's all prepared for me, and it's all taken care of. But that tool is it now making us where now we're going to the Father, and we're going to Jesus, and we're going to our experiences at church, and we're going to our experiences of faith, and we're like, I want a convenient God. I want a convenient God. I want a fast food God. God the Father, I'll take a number two and make it supersized, please. It's more than developing a lifestyle of patience. It's developing a lifestyle of I want to be inconvenienced. It was the last time you sat down and you prayed to God and you're like, Father, please let me be inconvenienced for your gospel. Lord, please let me be late to work because I get into a conversation with someone about you. Lord, Lord, let me be so inconvenienced that I forget about watching that TV show because I've been belaboring in prayer and fasting with you and I've totally forgot about it. Lord, 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 
let me be so inconvenienced that I'm not able to hang out with friend A, B, or C because I'm doing something of the gospel right now. Lord, let me be so inconvenienced that I'm not getting six hours a, a night of sleep. Because you wake me up in the early morning so I can pray with you and be with you. I, I, I want to be an inconvenient people is what I'm saying. I want to be an inconvenienced people. Right? Look, so the man makes tools and the tools make the man. Let's get a little spiritual here, right? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Convenience was made for you, not you for convenience. Convenience is a beautiful thing because it frees up time for other things. But my concern is that that spirit may have been entering into our spirituality. And now the gospel is an inconvenience. Praying for someone in a line is inconvenience. Coming to a prayer meeting is inconvenient. Fasting is an inconvenience. Getting here on church like 15 minutes early to pray and intercede for the service is inconvenient. I know I want to be a people of inconvenience. I want to be a person that is inconvenienced for the good of the gospel and the things of the Lord. Yeah, I remember one of the powerful things he said, you know, Jose and Dana travel all over the place. And people are like, oh, when you have your daughter, aren't you going to change your lifestyle? I remember, Jose, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, what a, what a sharp kind of response. It's like, well, has Jesus changed? Like, did Jesus tell me not to no, to no longer go and preach the gospel into all of the nations just because you have a kid? Like, he never said that, like, go and preach gospel to all the nations laying hands on the sick until you have children. Like, he doesn't say that, right? Being a people that are inconvenienced. Is it inconvenient for you to pack up and walk through the desert, Abraham? Yes, it's an inconvenience. Is it an inconvenience, David, for all your whole family to be coming up against you and you go hide out in the wilderness of An Gedi? Yes, it's inconvenience. Is it inconvenient to build a Noah's Ark? Yes, it's inconvenient. Is it inconvenient to climb up the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, and receive the commandments of God, and then you come down the mountain and everyone is against you? Yes, it is very inconvenient. Is it inconvenient to lay your life down and be crucified upside down, Peter? Is it inconvenient to have your head chopped off, Paul the Apostle? Yes, that's a little inconvenient. But you know, I got to go and get my, you know, my McDonald's. We can't allow the convenient mentality, we cannot allow the fast food mentality of the earth to leak into us. And I'm like, well, I don't eat McDonald's, so it doesn't matter. No, man, I'm telling you, is it is so convenient that you can have tropical fruit in January. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Like, it's so convenient that you can have a $6 pound steak fed off of corn in Iowa, processed in Chicago, and brought to your house via refrigeration. Because you use Amazon Prime, and Whole Foods will drop it off or something, right? That's what I'm talking about. There is such a level of it, man. I'm afraid that we're stepping into it. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord. And so Maggie, if you can come on down, please. And like, like two weeks ago, I was teaching on this concept, which is known as DMM, right? Um, discipleship Making Movement. 
I don't know if you guys picked up on or not because it was towards the end of a sermon. And I, was, I was coming off of Luke 10 and Matthew 10. I was talking about the model of evangelism that is outlined uh, by Jesus himself. Okay? And if you're ever thinking about it, you know, go and check it out. Luke 10, Matthew 10. It orchestrates what you are to do. Like, how do you evangelize? How, how do you be fishermen? Now, let's think about this in your life and in your day and at school and at work and whatever you may do. Are we fishermen? Because to be fishermen of souls is to be inconvenienced. Now, I'm not trying to pull a notch on your belt. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Come on. Let's just think. It was the last time we led someone to the Lord. It was the last time there were angels rejoicing in heaven because we witnessed and we shared the gospel with someone that was ready. It was the last time we went out and spoke and said, I'm going to increase the church, the big C church. It takes a people to be inconvenienced to do those things. But you see, if you're hefted, if you're hefted to the mountain of the Lord, That's what you do. And so in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, we're going off of this concept that there is prayer that takes place. This is Jesus' model, right? There is prayer. We pray. We pray for the Lord of the harvest to go forward before us and get people ready to receive the word that we give them. We go out two by two. We interact with people sit down with them we have fellowship I just just think about the inconvenience right I mean it is a lot easier to go to the grocery store and buy chicken nuggets that are highly processed throw them in your oven for 10 minutes and feed them to your kids most kids that's what they eat that's their diet chicken nuggets and french fries and we wonder why people have diabetes and everything right that, that, that is very convenient what is really inconvenient is saying tonight we're gonna have dinner as a family or tonight you know what we're gonna do we're gonna invite the neighbors over we're gonna invite someone that is lost into our house and we're gonna be inconvenienced and we're gonna clean up the house and we're gonna get everything ready and we're gonna make a nice dinner and we're gonna invite someone in there like it's the year 1950 but you see when we have a convenient lifestyle, those things which were so natural and normal are now an inconvenience. I'm telling you that the greatest ploy of the enemy over the Western church is busyness. Lord, I want to be an inconvenient person. Or an inconvenienced person. Lord, I want to be so inconvenient that you wreck my life and what I think I'm supposed to be doing so that I can sit at your feet. Lord, I want to be so inconvenienced that you wake me up at 3 in the morning and I can't go back to sleep because you're just pulling me to sit at your feet and to pray and to worship you and to be with you. Not that it has to be 3 o'clock in the morning, Lord, but you know what I'm saying. I want to be so inconvenienced that I'm partnering with what my rabbi has said to do. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And I want to be very gentle here. I want to be very gentle. Because I know that people have lives. But I'm just being real with you. 
our prayer meetings on Wednesday have been such, so small. Like six people. Such, so lightly attended. Now look, I, I, if you got something going on Wednesday night, so be it. Like this Wednesday, I'm not going to be able to make prayer because I, I have things that I have to do for ministry. And so we're going to reposition some things. And sometimes a kid has a softball game. Sometimes this, that, and the other thing. But we're talking months and months and months of very low attendance at prayer. And I don't know what, what the deal is, and I'm not going to judge. I'm just letting you know the reality. I want to see revival. And it's going to happen when a people are on their knees in convenience, praying and fasting and going before the Lord on a Wednesday night together as a community. Lord, I need you to show up with your presence this Sunday. Lord, I need you to show up in Philadelphia and Bristol. I come and I contend to you because your house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. Lord, I want to be inconvenienced. And if you're not here on Wednesday, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you a reality. Like six people. It's like, Lord, we want to be inconvenienced and we really, we really want to just live a life that is ushering in the kingdom of God because that is why I'm here. That's why I'm on earth. To usher in your kingdom. Amen? That's why we're here and that's why we got saved. Haggai chapter 1 verse 7 is a nice little warning. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth will hold its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and, and on all the labor of your hands. What do we have here? I am withholding from you, Israel, because when I look down in Israel, I see every man has a house but God. What, 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 what is a prophet saying to Israel? You've spent all of your time making sure that your earthly vessels are taken care of and you've neglected the house of the Lord. So, by the way, I'm going to bring a plague now. So I, I mean, I, I, look, I, I'll be honest, I, I just moved. There's a lot of things to get done in my house. There's a lot of things I have to get done in my house. And I have this kind of heart check that says, Lord, how much of my time is being spent on building and creating my nice little earthly castle while your house remains in ruins? This house is not in ruins, but it's not filled. My house should be a house of all people. Build the temple of the Lord and the people will be able to dwell in it. There's a job that needs to be get done, but the thing here is it's not convenient. I'd rather, in some regards, be taking care of my own kingdom 
than worrying about the temple of the Lord. So I just want to encourage you with this. Let's not allow the spirit of convenience to work its way into the church and into your life. It is the greatest ploy of the enemy to keep us busy, busy, busy with seemingly good things, but they're not the right things. Lord, I want to be in convenience with my life, and I want to be able to draw upon you to come into your presence, to come into your being, Lord, and to bring forth the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Because that's what we're here for. Why don't we stand? I'm going to end with Revelation 21. And like I said, guys, I, I, if it came out judgmental, I'm sorry. That's not what I'm trying to do. Just painting a picture. Right? I, I want to be a church body that is inconvenience, where we're investing time in prayer and revival. Because that's when things begin to happen, when the people are on their knees fasting and praying before the Lord of hosts. And if you can't do it on Wednesday night, then do it when the Lord gives you time to do it. But man, I'm just yearning for this place to be a, a house of prayer. Call upon the name of the Lord to watch Him do exploits in our midst. Let us be hefted. Let us be accustomed and connected to an upland pasture. The mountain of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Lord, let us build you a temple in the Spirit. And so Revelation 21, just as a little reminder. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Like, this is the end game, people. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And now verse 8. Peace to really have us be reminded. Part of the reason of why we are doing what we're doing on planet earth. Lord, I want to be an inconvenience people. Not necessarily for my soul, but for my neighbor's soul. Verse 8 kind of gets left out of 21st century churches a lot. But here we go. Verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
let us be hefted to the truth of his word I want to intercede I want to be inconvenienced for a generation so in this generation there's less there are fewer people from this generation that will be burning in a lake of fire and brimstone let me have a heart for the lost to that extent that I'm willing to be inconvenienced that I'll no longer be eating chicken nuggets in the spirit but I'll be preparing a feast the Lamb of God the wedding feast at the banqueting table deliver us Deliver us from convenience, Lord. Deliver us. You keep going, Maggie. Come on, let's just give a little moment for the Lord just to speak and well end service soon. Jesus, we love you. We want to be transformed into your, to more of your likeness. Father, I repent for being a person that adores convenience. Come on, Lord, let, let your spirit fall. Let it fall in a manner that we will choose a life of being a royal priesthood. We would choose a life of being inconvenienced. Yes. encourage you if you want to have a little bit more time of soaking to just reside and let the Lord speak to you if there are things in your life that just have been too much of a convenience for you and too much of a focus that you may have lost for a point of time what it's all about sitting at his feet being in relationship with him and spreading the good news to see others be able to do so. If we have not been doing that, if that's not pulling on your heart, if that hasn't woken you up in the morning to be excited to do that, I just pray that there would be a spirit of repentance that would fall in this place right now. Fishermen catch fish. Fishermen catch fish have a wonderful week we'll see you either Wednesday night at prayer or on Sunday for those that are not going to the men's retreat of course all the ladies as well have a nice week we'll be having our refreshments for Mario and Kate in a moment as we transition